Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that emerges out of a digital cloud, not a bottle. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we have been watching on various streaming services or at the cinema. We'll do real news. And our main review is 3,000 Years of Longing, directed by George Miller. Oh, I'm supposed to say something at this point. James... Before we get into all that, can I ask you whether I'm weird? Yeah. Can I give you context? Yeah. Don't just tell me if I'm weird. But no, go on. I'm interested. Am I weird? No, you're not. You're not weird. You're not weird. And actually, I, was, I forgot to say when we first jumped on the call, in your new WhatsApp picture, you look very dapper in your wedding suit. Not your wedding. In a suit. You look very normal and not weird. As opposed to right now on this call. <laughs> I'll take the compliment. So... First off, Tesco story. We love a Tesco story. If you go shopping, doesn't need to be Tesco, is everything that makes its way into your basket slash trolley slash cart, if you're American, is it always a joint decision? Or do you sometimes go, oh, I want that for myself and shove it in the trolley without conferring with your partner? I do do that, yes. I'll put things in without conferring. Half the time, it gets put back. <laughs> right. But yes, there are things that just go in. Why? Okay. I think, th- is there a story here? Yeah. So I got into hot water this week because I did such a thing. And we regularly use the scammers you shop. So things can make the way home without somebody else really realising that you've done it. Not in a malicious way. It's just happenstance is what happens. Anyway, we get home one night, we had tea, and I said, oh, do you want a dessert? And she said, yeah. And she'd picked up two, like, chocolate eclairs for the both of us. And she said, oh, I'll have the eclair. And I said, oh, I'm just going to have my uh, chocolate sundae that I bought. And she was like, what What do you mean you bought a chocolate sundae? I was like, well, I saw it on the shelf. You said, did I want anything for dessert before you picked up the eclairs? And I thought, oh, yeah, that looks nice. I'll put it in. And she thought it was complete. In fact, she actually said, you bastard, and walked off. <laughs> Which I thought was a bit extreme, but it was the fact that I hadn't said, oh, I've got this. Do you want to get your equivalent? So that like, have I really stepped out of line there? Is that that bad? I don't think you stepped out of line because that's a small purchase that you've made there. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the, the financial arrangement was when you paid for this, but it's a small purchase. It's got a joint account. So maybe she's got it in the neck for me because it's coming out of her wallet as well. I don't know. I just thought it was a bit much, but yeah, there you go. There you go. Sorry, I'm wasting time on that. We'll get through this quickly. This is the other way that I'm weird. Went away with work on business in a hotel. It has a bath, a very nice bath. Every night I have a candlelit bath. No candles in the hotel. Shock. Not a surprise, is it? But I went to the local Nisa and purchased some candles, then recorded it and sent it to my partner and told everybody at this training session that that's what I did that evening which she said was a bit sad and I didn't need to let people know that. But then I told her that I then proceeded to bring the candles down to the seating area that we were at outside just for a bit of ambiance because it was dark. And she said, you're an absolute freak. (laughs) What did you record exactly? Did you record yourself in the bath? (laughs) No, no, no. 
Wasn't that creepy? Just the surroundings. Here's my bath. Here's my setup. Look at all the candles outlined. I've succeeded in life. Well done, me. And you showed that to your partner and your colleagues? Yes. I think that's weird. Okay. Show it to your colleagues. Um, yeah, that I've known for two days. <laughs> needing to have the candles at all just for two just for two days, I think is pointless. That's a waste. Okay. And I think bringing the candles, bringing the candles out, that is a that's a bit psychotic. Yeah, I don't know why anyone okay. would go to that effort. I'm, I'm just. It's I'm like just... David Brent bringing his guitar. No, it's not that. It's not that bad. But it's a bit, <laughs> like, why is it, why is this person done this? Okay, it's a step too far. Can I just tell you that the two nights that I didn't have candles, I had to reposition the lamp in the hotel room to be right outside the bathroom and turn off the big light in the bathroom, just so there was a bit of mood setting. <laughs> why, is that a... <sighs> why do you need such a mood for? A... I don't. I don't want to know. I don't want. I've to just know. never why had a... a specific mood for a, a bath. I've never had a bath in harsh light <laughs> in the last ten years. <sighs> I'm sorry. Maybe we should. Uh... Go on to other things. I don't know why I brought it up. Yes, I can link into your bath story with my first item from what I've been watching, if you like. Please Transition. Do. I've been watching Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix. Failing to see how this links. We'll get there. <laughs> Which is, it's a Netflix animated series, and it is based on Cyberpunk 2077, which I've not played. I think you played it, didn't you? But which was plagued with problems upon launch, which I know all about. And I'm familiar with the game, even though I've never played it. So I came into this series knowing the aesthetic of the Cyberpunk 2077 world, but also Cyberpunk in general. I knew what I was going to get going in. And this fully delivers on what you want to see from a Cyberpunk anime. It's got the cyberpunk dystopian tech city, the vehicles, the weapons, the character design, all looks excellent. Just inject it straight into my veins. In terms of the actual content, it's got the violence and the guns and the flesh and the commodification of everything and the vibe that you'd expect from a cyberpunk story, including women in the bath doing brain dive, hacking of people people jacking in to when you're plug, plugging things into the, the back of the heads and things like that. Other than jacking off. Yeah, but it's all there. And the story is pretty straightforward. It's about a young delinquent kid who gets involved with a gang of punks, of edge runners, and they do jobs together. And he gets involved with the gang and gets close to them and starts to fancy Lucy Lucy, who's just designed specifically to have lewd images made of her and her revealing costume, gets close to them all. Drama unfolds as they do different missions, and things get complicated as different, you know, the evil corporations get involved in their operations. So I'm enjoying it very much. I'm up to episode six out of ten, and it's been a long time since I've discussed animation. On the pod, and it's this one that I'm choosing to bring up because it's it's broken through as being actually good. Cyberpunk Edge Runners available where Netflix. I know of this, but I've heard nothing about it. No one's singing its praises. Not I've not even looked though, so I'm not saying you're a one out in the wild. But no, that sounds very good. I may well give it a go. I might align it with me replaying the game because I just 
fell off that for some reason. But yeah, sounds good. I will check it out. How long is an episode? Important. 25 minutes. Ah, sold. What else have you been watching this week that isn't path-related? Bodies, bodies, bodies. Which is a American black comedy slasher film. I went in to see it knowing nothing, but then I was surprised to see that the cast includes familiar faces that you don't recognise on the dark, obscure poster. So it's Maria Bakalova from the Borat film, Pete Davidson, Lee Pace, who's been in some Marvel films and was in Lord of the Rings, and I'm not going to pronounce this properly, Myhalla Herald, who was in Industry, the BBC financial drama. What is it about? It is about Gen Z, rich kids going to Pete Davidson's family's house just to have a bit of a, of a sleepover, have a bit of a laugh, drink, maybe do some lines, depending on whether they've just come out of rehab. And because it's called Bodies, 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 and it's a slasher film, you know that things go wrong. They start to play a game that's like a pretend murder game in the dark. And then there's a power cut. And then when a real body shows up, that's when things start to go wrong. I very much enjoyed this. It is good. When you go on IMDb, it's got a 6.8, which is lower than Rings of Power. And most of the written reviews are really scathing about it. But the critics' reviews have been quite high. So I think it's not for everyone. But I liked it because all the performances are totally believable. Yes, not everyone is likeable, but they're all entertaining and complex enough to watch. So say Rachel Senot, who plays Alice, she's just a really obnoxious, narcissistic character, but she's so narcissistic and self-obsessed that it's just funny to watch someone be that self-absorbed and make things about themselves. And even though it's only something like one hour and 45 minutes, it takes the time, it takes the time at the start just to set up the relationships, but does it in a very efficient way before it goes into, right, Nightfall, Power Cut, now we're going to do some sort of horror-ish stuff, but still keep the black comedy and keep you guessing, because it is obviously a, a whodunit. Because there's a Power Cut for most of the film, it means that visually it's interesting as well. So they use their phone torches to find the way around a lot of the time. Or there's other small sources of light. So visually, it looks very dramatic and unique. Plot-wise, not very complex. Thematically, I don't really think nothing came across to me that was that complex. But I was thoroughly entertained. But I can understand why people would give it negative reviews because, yeah, it's not much of a horror film. It's not hilariously funny. Sorry, I thought you were mid-sentence. Yeah, no, I, I said that I did intonation. Like, that was going <laughs> to be... There was going to be more of that sentence, but it turned out there wasn't. <laughs> and this is another A24 film. So yep. they're unlike Apple, who we held in high regard and thought they could do no wrong. And then they did. They've not set a foot wrong. Yeah. Yep. A24, the mark yep. of quality. Very good. Well, I was thinking of checking that out next week. And after that endorsement, I think I sure will. Thank you very much. Bodies, bodies, bodies available in UK cinemas and worldwide, one would hope. And shorter release on streaming soon enough in these times. Oh, one more thing to note about it is that it's similar to X, the other horror slasher film that we watched, starring Mia Goth. Just young people in a house, in a in an isolated place. Things go wrong. Not filming a porno though. No, no. It's the differentiator. 
Very good. Anything else on the watch list? I've continued to watch Rings of Power, even though I don't like it. It's no good. It's more the experience of watching this disaster unfold and to track the comments and the reviews online. More and more people gradually admit, actually, this isn't very good. Nothing's happening. That is all. Daniel, what have you been watching? Like a moth to a flame or flies to shit. I've been watching Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, which is confusing if you look at the image because it's like it's called Dharma Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. I'm not too sure. But anyway, it's Netflix's retelling of the life and crimes of the American serial killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. So I'm intrigued. And I didn't know until I'd watched a few episodes, although I could have guessed now that I do know that it's another Ryan Murphy production. So as is always the case with this stuff, high production value represents time periods very well. And there's a, there's a fair few time periods in this because we go all the way from the 50s up to the early 90s when Jeffrey Dahmer was eventually captured. And as for the first episode, it really, really wrote me in straight away. I know this case sort of inside out, but I've always seen it as like a documentary not necessarily a dramatisation. This first episode is a bit of a sort of bottle episode where it focuses on just one interaction between Jeffrey Dahmer and one of his victims. And it's so unsettling. Like there's, there's very minimal use of music. In fact, there's only music when there's like a, a club that they go to, which is where he picks up this guy that he brings back to his house. The rest is like just foreboding sound, just like going on in the background. And it is unsettling. I like that it doesn't really go full throttle with showing you just how depraved this guy was. It's like a, a sickeningly slow build-up of tension as this guy just makes his way into his apartment and just sees all these red flags just dotted around his house. Like, there's blood on the mattress. That's not normal. There's a drill with blood coming off it. This guy's wanting to watch The Exorcist 3. He's got a knife. Um, It's just, uh, yeah, not good. And also there's a rancid smell, which Jeffrey Dahmer explains away as some meat going bad in his fridge. But the truth, of course, is obviously a lot more disturbing than that. It starts off with his downfall. So he gets arrested at the end of that first episode. And the rest of it is traveling back and forth between his youth and more present day and showing you what might have contributed to him taking this sort of dark path in life and becoming a murderer slash cannibal. And so far, I've only seen four episodes, but you're spending more or less all your time with Dharma, and that's whether he's an adult or a child. It's, I don't know, I think I think it does a really good thing in that you're not meant to see him as sympathetic. It, it does go a long way at explaining things, trauma within his childhood that might have contributed to him being like this, but you're never like, oh, what a shame. Oh, bless him. It's not like that. It's very matter-of-fact and I just think that was a very good thing to have to balance because I think there's been a lot of outcry from victims' families since this came out saying, why does this exist? You've done this to death, excuse the pun, with countless documentaries. Why do we need to see this? I do think the... <sighs> it's an odd thing to say. I think, I, think, I think they strike the balance well, but at the same time, people might completely disagree because there are some hideous things that they do show you in this, but I think it's on the right side of respect. Anyway... Evan Peters, who plays Jeffrey Dahmer, you've probably seen him in American Horror Story, if you ever saw that, or more recently, Murr of Easttown, which I think I said at the time, he was just completely miscast. He 
suits playing really unhinged individuals. And I think this was a very, very good pick for him as a role. It suits him well. I've watched, like I said, many interviews with Jeffrey Dahmer, and he definitely captures a lot of his affectations well. I had doubts before watching this because, like I said, I've read loads of books, I've watched documentaries, but it still felt that it was bringing something to the table. Like I didn't know he had such a volatile, and I don't know how because I'm sure I've been told this, but his family life is a bit up in the air. His mum and dad don't get on, and you can see why he was so neglected in some ways and went off and kind of became this weird individual. So... I'd say one of the best things to come out on Netflix in quite a while, but that's not a high bar by any means, but it doesn't seem to be sticking to the Netflix algorithm of storytelling, shall we say, which I can't say the same for the next thing I'm going to discuss. So yes, I really like this. I've not finished it and there are a few people up in arms about it, but I I think it's rather good. Monster Richard, Dharma, Monster Richard Dharma story. Jeffrey Dharma. (laughs) Dharma, the Richard Dharma of today again. Dharma, the Jeffrey Dharma monster story. I don't know. I don't know. Search for Dharma, you'll find it. Yeah, well, it's the number one piece of content on Netflix. Number oh, is one. It? Yeah, well, right. according to Netflix themselves. What else have you been watching? Netflix again. Devil in Ohio. This was generated by an algorithm, as I said. It's perhaps aimed at someone like me, so it's, it's my fix of horror, mystery, thriller, and it's about a psychiatrist played by Emily Deschanel, her who played the pathologist on Bones, which I watched some of, and she decides to take occult escapee under her wing to the point of letting her live with her family, and the IMDb summary states that this girl threatens to tear her life apart. I don't know if she does or not because it didn't make it that far into the series. Um, it's is is the woman innocent? Um, is she an innocent escapee or does she have questionable motives? I don't know. It is watchable, as many Netflix things are, and mildly entertaining. But I know that this hasn't had good reviews, and I don't just want to be a sheep and say I'll only watch something if it's got good reviews. But knowing that it's not worth my time. I just thought, I can't be bothered. They've got to have a change in life. Like, it's too precious. I don't have all this time. If I'm going to put 10 hours into something, it's got to be more than okay. So, passable Netflix fur, you can probably do a whole lot better. But if you're into cults, it might just be a fix for now, I suppose. I'd seen this in the Netflix top 10. I could sense that it was a piece of mediocre algorithm-generated Netflix content. There was just something about it. Exactly what it is. What else have you been watching? Last one. I'll keep it short and sweet if I can. I always fail at that. Um, something of a bit, a bit of an unexpected surprise, I would say, and is worthy time. Welcome to Wrexham on Disney Plus, and it's a new documentary series following two big American stars, one that I really like, and another that I'm a bit sick of. And it's following them attempting to run a Welsh football club with absolutely no experience. The two actors, I'm referring to Rob McElhenney of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame and Mythic Quest, of course. He's the one I like. And Ryan Reynolds, he's the one I'm sick of. But they're they're trying to buy Wrexham Football Club. And this is a documentary following them from the inception of we're going to buy it through to now we're owners and then we're going to 
get to understand the team and the locals who have spent their lives supporting them. Have you watched this yet? Because I know we discussed it a few weeks back and I didn't know if you took the plunge. I have not watched it. I came very close today, but I didn't. What did you think? What I think, what do I think? So far, as much as I've watched of it, I think it's a very earnest portrayal of what happens to these football clubs uh, when investors come in and take over. And I don't know, the series does a very good job of making you experience like the doubt and the anxiety from the team because they don't know if the job's at risk. But you also get the emotions of fans who are, some of them are like, oh my God, two Hollywood actors. That's amazing. And some are a bit more cautious. So it's it encompasses everything, I would say. And it feels, like I said, like it's coming from a good place. So it doesn't make it about those celebrities. It's much more, let's honour this history of the town, the locals and, and who they actually support. So that's, that's to its credit. And I guess even with my comment earlier about Ryan Reynolds, which was a bit tongue-in-cheek, it wasn't, he annoys me. He plays this one-note character in a lot of things, but he's a lot more bearable in this, even though you can tell that part of his own personality is this character that he plays. But it, I, I could deal with it. Well, it wasn't a problem. I think it also made me realise that I'm being a bit of a bitch and he's a human being, so give him a break. It's very good. I like it. One thing that might bother some people, but it definitely didn't bother me, is it's definitely geared towards an American audience, so... They'll have like locals say something in Welsh or an English slang term, and then they'll just drop on the screen like, what is this explanation? What does it actually mean? It even does that within football where it'll explain like the league divisions almost as if you're an idiot. But that's that's literally because I'm, I'm English, so I know these things. That didn't bother me. I get why they've done it is to appeal to both sides of the pump, so whatever. But some people might go, oh no, idiot. One thing that is fascinating about this, you can tell at the beginning, like they really don't know what they're doing or how to go about it. So they actually get one of the, I'm going to get this wrong. It's either the guy who was a scriptwriter on It's Always Sunny or Mythic Quest. He goes in as their representative and speaks to the team on behalf of these two actors. And you can tell that he's no experience in football whatsoever. And this team of players are just like, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? And he, he wings it. But you can tell just how much they are fudging the way through this deal. Like, they don't have a clue what they're doing. And that's all really fascinating. But I like the fact that they don't feel like they have to hide that from you. It's pretty absurd, but they're still putting it in. Another thing that I didn't know, obviously, I've read about this in the news a year or two ago, whenever it happened. I thought that these two actors were friends. But really interestingly, they did not know each other at all before doing this. Rob McElhenney was like, I don't have Ryan Reynolds' star power or money. Please help me out, mate. And that's how they got speaking. So I think it's interesting just to unpack that as well and see how that progresses. And I've I've not seen too much of it, but I would suspect that you see more of their relationship develop along the way, which I'm actually interested in seeing. So, yes, I really like this. And football fan or not, I think you'll get something out of it because it is accessible, as I've said, um, to those who aren't. Or fair with it. So, yeah. Welcome to Wrexham on Disney+. Plus. Very interesting. I think I will watch it then, based on that. I didn't know that the two actors didn't know each other beforehand. And don't care about football. I'm not bothered. But I did enjoy, I did enjoy the Tottenham Hot Spur documentary. So I think, I think I will check it out based on what you've said there. The one thing that I'm finding really hard to do is just Google where Wrexham are in the league now because I feel like that will spoil the remaining seven or six episodes so resist the urge if you can 
because it might go well, it might not, who knows? Mm. I suppose that's what the series is there for. Yeah. So that's all for what we've been watching. Is it? it yeah, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> you got a segue? Um, it's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. According to Vanity Fair, Harry Styles didn't spit on Chris Pine. Wow. We'd never have known. And that apparently is some sort of some something that needed to be clarified in an interview with Olivia Wilde about her Don't Worry Darling film. Well, I'm glad that the truth is out, but did you see the video? Of this of this spit? Yeah. Oh, is this so so what's what is this about then? You've not heard about this? No, I was just gonna I was just gonna read that and then move on. It would be like just a little Oh right, okay. So yeah. Premiere, which obviously this film's been dogged by like just ridiculous issues with Florence Pugh not being happy with Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde's affair and then saying she's going to not turn up for the premiere and then she did, but then she wasn't pictured with some people and blah, 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 all this controversy. And then at the premiere, it appears that Harry Styles stands up and spits in Chris Pine's lap and he looks, what's going on? I can't believe you've done that. If you say that's what's happened then that could conceivably be what happened. But if you just take those words away and nobody said it, there is no spit. It's not what happened. It's just been completely blown out of proportion. It's just ridiculous. And to think that he that is the thing that he would do, to leap to that, I, I just... I, I watched it twice and was thinking... I'm thinking it's about two weeks ago now, so maybe my memory says on it. But I, to me, I just did not even see how people had arrived at that decision at all. But there you go. The truth is out. He didn't spit in his lap. What a shock. Okay. That's that's that cleared up then. And I've just realised that Olivia Wilde, Olivia Wilde directed Booksmart, which I really liked. So maybe I should watch Don't Worry Darling. Have you heard the interview with Harry Styles, by the way, that he gives about this film? No. And he just sends off his face on drugs. And he's just talking about film. Just, I'm sure he wasn't, by the way. I'm sure he just didn't know what to say or he was exhausted from doing press junkets for it. But he's like, the thing about film is a real film. It's like, think about it, film. Again, butchering that. Go and listen to it. It's awful. It is awful. It is cringe-inducing awful. Anything else in the news? What else? One of the most memorable films of our our childhood, our school days, Cloverfield, the found footage classic about aliens coming, taking over and killing everyone. It's got a sequel in the works. Another one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, what other films have there been in the CCU, the Cloverfield Cinematic Universe? Is it just that other one? In the set in the in the in the in the in the in the basement, yes, yeah, basement. I think so. Yeah, what was it called? Ten, Ten Field Field Lane. Lane. Yeah, I think that's the only one. I can't say I'm the biggest lover of this series of films. The first film was at the time quite influential. It did very well, but I just remember feeling very very sick after watching it because it's all shaky, handheld stuff, non-stop. And I don't think I've been like that with any other films before. Born Identity is a good, or maybe The Supremacy, whichever one went for full on 
heavy handheld. Um, can't say that made me feel nauseous, but Cloverfield definitely did. I remember that in the cinema. I wanted to leave. Did you like it? I remembered enjoying it very much, yes, with a good, I think there's a memorable ending. Well, it's not memorable because I don't remember it, but I do. Oh, the Cloverfield Paradox is the other one. Oh, there is another one. Okay. Is that the one with Danny Glover? I don't know. Uh, I think I've made that up. I've made that up. The one, um, it's one where they're in space, but if I remember correctly, it was either confirmed or it was very heavily rumoured that that film was going to have nothing to do with Cloverfield. It was a generic sci-fi film, but they just added the Cloverfield reference at the end, renamed the film to get it some attention. That is so funny that you just said that because before you even said it, I was going to say this new film is blatantly just a script that's about aliens and somebody said just slap Cloverfield on it. So do the same trick twice, why don't you? Yeah. Why not? If you yeah. know you can make more money, they're going to do it, aren't they? Yes. And there's no other information other than they're doing it. It's in it's active it's in active development. Well, we have Cloverfield, the original film, to thank for Matt Reeves's career and bringing us the latest Batman. So there's that that's a positive, even if it did make me feel sick. James Batman, I'm gonna ask you right now. We're not even anywhere near December. Is it anywhere near your top ten for the year? I don't think it is, is it? I don't. I, um, no, I don't think you were I that we hot top, on it, were you? I think we do top fives, don't we? Oh yeah, but I know it's not in your top five, so I'm just wondering if it is it lurking away between five and ten. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I was I was wondering if there's even ten good films that I've even watched this year. So it might it might get on it just for that reason, but not top five. No, because I already know three three films are already a lock. So. I'm going to ask you now, this wasn't meant to be part of the episode, and you feel free to just omit it completely. I think what we should do, because I'm struggling, I'm thinking, I don't think I could name 10 films this year. Let's have a look at what some of the best known, well-regarded films are of this year from a critic standpoint, and let's commit to making one or two of the highest ones, one of our main reviews, just so they're factored in to this year's top five. Yeah, should we do that? Let's do that. Yes, let's do that. So there you go. We promised it on air. We'll do that. Promise. What real news have you got? Hopefully a short one. But I say hopefully. It is what it is. We'll discuss. I came across an article that said that Netflix has weirdly removed or will be removing its own content. Hemlock Grove, you might remember. This was the Eli Roth, him of Hostel fame. I think it was one of the very, very early Netflix TV shows. Ran for three seasons, bit of a mixed bag. First season, yeah, seemed to get better. I never watched it. That's just what I read in the news. It's leaving Netflix. Now, I can't make sense of this. The article that I read draws attention to the fact that this isn't the only time this has happened. And Netflix has removed things such as Jessica Jones and another Marvel series. Now, that makes sense because those properties went to Disney+. Plus, But I can't understand why Netflix would remove its own content unless... And it's a weird thing to do with Hemlock Grove, which I don't think has many lovers. They've gone, let's make even more money. We're suffering. Take it off the platform, sell it on Blu-ray or sell it to another like streaming service. I don't know. What's what's your impressions of why they would possibly do this? Yeah, I'm just scanning some articles. There's one on Slash Film where they say that it's extremely unclear. It goes against what Netflix is doing, which is focusing on its own content because all the all the stuff that isn't theirs mm. is leaving. Well, 
First thing, I've never heard of this. Oh, you know, it had Famke Jensen in it, and that's about as much as I know. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at these images. I've never seen it before. I didn't know that she was in it. Yeah, one of the first Netflix shows behind only House of Cards and Lily Hammer. So that's how old it is. Why? Why? I will be interested. I'm sure a lot of people aren't, but I want to know what's going on there. Yeah. The only other thing is they could somebody could have bought the rights to that property and want to make their own film or something. That's the only other thing I can think. I see. Right. Yeah. So someone else. So is it is it based on something? Not that I'm aware of, but they might have said, Hemlock Grove, we want that. We've got some ideas. Let's buy it off you. That's all I can think. Yeah. There's one reason that I thought at first is maybe it's so bad that they'd, they're going to remove it, but that just doesn't seem like a good reason to remove something. No, no. But to that point, somebody could be saying, it was distinctly average. I've got an absolutely baller idea for this, and I'm going to make it better. Give it me. Give it me. Or... They've announced the removal of it. Get some interest in the program. Reboot it for a full season. <laughs> and say that it's because of fan demand. Would not put it past them. But I'm afraid that's all I had was that minute slither of news which probably nobody else in the world gives a damn about. The Emmys happened, but no one cares about them. We don't care. So, Succession won. I care about that. Yeah. So no one's longing to hear about come on the rest just writes itself really main review <laughs> hello i'd like to order an opinion please this film is new fresh point of view let me sit back this is a fact we in the aisles here are some aisles thoughts in sync tell you what to think i'll listen to you but please don't rap again this week's main review is three thousand years of longing my name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I cannot wait to see where it goes. Oh, how it might end. Do you want to hear some alternative titles for this film? Shoot. Shoot from your hip. You First know. one. I oh, can't sorry. believe you didn't wait for me to say Right, go on. Do it again. Do it again. Shoot from your hip. Your new hip. I had these littered throughout my notes, so this is probably just going to completely fall on its ass. First one was 148 minutes of longing for it to be over. The other one is Aladdin 2 unlucky in love gin yeah and the other one is three weeks at the box office oh not great but no those are good i like that i like that and that's the main review for done i've tipped my hat but i i in fact we'll give the proper plot summary before we dig in while attending a conference in istanbul dr alethea binney happens to encounter a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. This presents two problems. First, she doubts that he's real. And second, because she's a scholar of story and mythology, she knows... I want I want this to end already. She knows all <laughs> the cautionary tales 
of wishes gone wrong. The djinn pleads his case by telling her fantastical stories of his past. Last sentence. Eventually, she's beguiled and makes a wish that surprises them both. That's too in-depth, that. Where's that one from? That's the Google summary. Never use a Google summary. We learned this lesson months ago. It's done now. James, what did you think of 3,000 Years of Longing? This is a film that is a box office bomb, confirmed one of the biggest box office bombs of 2022. Divided reception. It seems that critics have liked... No, it's critics haven't liked it. 71% Rotten Tomatoes. Some people have really, really, really liked it, and some people haven't. 6.8 IMDb. Given George Miller's last film was Mad Max, Fury Road, Idris Elba, Tilda Swinton, trailer looks good. What could go wrong in a fantastical, visually dazzling world of adventure? So I came into it, not really with any expectations, actually, because the response was so mixed to it. It sets itself up for something very thematically ambitious at the start when Tilda Swanton's, sorry, Tilda Swinton's character gives a speech about how she studies stories and she knows all about stories and their meaning. So then immediately you think, oh, well, this is going to be a film. It's going to be a story about stories. Oh, come on, give me a break. So I read that was in the first sentence of the film that I just thought, setting yourself up for failure here. She arrives at the airport. I'm not going to go through the whole film. I'm just this is just make one point. She arrives at the airport and you see this this mystical character appear and you think, oh, this epic world is like bleeding through into her world. She gives a speech, uh, she gives a lecture about stories in a, in a lecture theatre, and this ghostly figure appears who looks ridiculous, who looks like he's out of a Monty Python film, and he's appearing. And you think, oh, this world is going to start bleeding through, and in, Idris Elba is going to appear. And she's going to be transported into this magical world of wonder. And it's building up to something here. Goes to a bedroom. The genie comes out of the bottle. She talks to him. And you think, right, this is, we're in it. We're in it now. Something's going to happen. And then Idris Elba starts telling the tale of his life. And at some, at some point in the film, not really spoilers, at some, at some point you realize, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. The whole film is them in the bedroom talking. And it's Idris Elba telling the story of his life. And I just realised that. And I it was immediately turned off from the whole enterprise of watching it. I couldn't be bothered. Sorry. Because you've got all this visual splendour, but it's all done in, in flashback. And it just comes back to these two people in this bedroom. Until it's not, but 80% of the film is that. So the plot is really Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton's characters bonding over these stories and i was totally disengaged from it and the, because it was jumping into these stories and then, and then back there wasn't really any rhythm to it it was hard to get into these flashback stories i think there's three of them because you you just know it's a story that someone's telling but it comes back and and right okay so that's that story told what's next it's ambitious with the themes about storytelling and all that and the amount of time that's involved, 3,000 years. But uh, none of... Go on. Uh, no. Penny drops. Yeah. The... <laughs> but it doesn't really come to much of anything. So, yeah, visually, fine. But it's perfect example of style over substance. It's disappointing because, obviously... 
Tilda Swinton, brilliant. Idris Alba, brilliant. Any Wire alumni, just immediately, is good. And those two on screen, yes, they can carry a film. If this was a play with those two, and it was set in a hotel bedroom, it would be brilliant. But it's not, and I can see why it's a box office bomb. Because looking back now, the advertising is just visuals, 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 colours, flashy stuff happening. But suspiciously, no suggestion of what the story's going to be. And then you watch it and you realise, oh, there is no story. Right, yeah, I didn't think I was going to be that that hard on it, to be honest. Because it has, it has merit visually. It's Does brilliant. it? Does it? Oh, well, well, let's let's find out then. Come on. Daniel, what did you think of 3,000 years of donging? Well, I'll start off by saying I'm pretty livid with you because you've stolen nearly every word that was going to come out of my mouth down to the descriptors that you've used for the film. So if there's a bit of repetition, it's because I'll literally be left with nothing to say. So apologies. <laughs> So yeah, you said you said it, box office bomb. But I I had pretty big, not no no no, not big expectations. But I thought the director of Mad Max Fury Road, easily and despite all the odds, because I hate films in that setting, deserty, whatever. I loved Mad Max Fury Road. Thought it was an absolute masterpiece. So I had somewhat reasonable expectations for this film, and I, I thought it had the potential to kind of be a sleeper hit film of 2022 i thought you know the one that flew under the radar that i actually liked and it's going to be in my top 10 it's not it's not in my top 10 at all it's not even close to being in my top 100 and i've not even seen 100 films this year it's weird this isn't one of the worst films we've had to endure but i can't believe that i have next to nothing to say about it but i'm just going to try and pad this review out somehow which is what i'm hopefully doing now so you mentioned the setup esteemed scholar awakens a genie in a bottle. I couldn't even tell you if she accidentally awakens him or not because I don't have any memory of it. That's that's how much this impacted me. Idris Elba tells her a load of sad tales about his life and how I have done by years, which I thought came across as a bit of a pitiful booty call. I don't know what you were referring to, but you said 70% of this film, uh, 80% of this film is... Something. Are you referring to the travelling to different points of time or them actually in the hotel room? No, them in the hotel room is 80% of the film, but that includes the, the actual time in the flashbacks. Ah, right, okay, see what you've done there. Because I thought, this is weird, we've got a completely different outlook on that. I have 70% of this film is him recounting these tales and the actual story, you witnessing it yourself, 30% them in the hotel room. By the by, I told you we were padding this out. Playing out to those little stories, you get these two talking. And it really has to like underpin the whole thing is this central relationship or this bond that they're creating. But I saw you use the word disengaged. I was completely disengaged. These interactions fall completely flat and I can't go into some of it until spoilers, but essentially it felt for me, despite how good directors they are, it felt really stilted and unnatural. Like I didn't buy the language that Tilda Swinton was saying. It seemed forced and weak and just poorly written. I, th- I think it was the writing, not the performances. But having said that, I don't know about you, I'm from up north. You've never been able to guess. Her accent wound me up rotten. I almost felt like, not from a classist point of view, but like, what are you doing in this film? It's not meshing. Get out or change your accent. It, it just didn't fit it at all. And I, even though I couldn't geographically pinpoint where it's from, 
I just thought, just stop talking. You just It's not working for me. Anyway, sorry, moving on from that. I, I think this film does a really piss-poor job of explaining what's going on. And I say that in terms of, like, take it with a pinch of salt because I was so disengaged. It might have been that I just completely just went, I'm not paying attention anymore. But I read things in the Wikipedia article afterwards about the plot, and I was like, really? Oh, that, oh, what, that? Oh, right, okay. Right, no, didn't get that was happening. Didn't know that was happening. I was just dumbfounded. I thought, surely I've not been that thick. The film's just done a really bad job of signposting it for me. I said it at the beginning. I, I don't think it's a complete disaster. There are, as you said, some mildly visually interesting things, and there is a bit of world building, which is is, is well done within those three stories that he tells. But I've literally just watched this film. It's raw, but I have no time or desire to pay any more attention to what what did this film mean like oh did i miss something does it i don't care i do not care this is a definition of a meh film for me it's not even as if it's slow it's like i've it actually successfully transported me to a different realm but you know what happened when i got there i was stuck with some really dismal company and they just chatted shit for two hours that's it that's it for me just for the sake of balance, even though we're not the BBC, so we don't need to balance things, there is a positive quotation on Wikipedia. Peter Druge from Variety said, These days, audiences are so savvy about the tricks at a filmmaker's disposal that the movie's greatest achievement is that it seizes our imagination. Or perhaps that's our attention deficit disorder being so brusquely mishandled and holds it for the better part of two hours, defying us to anticipate what comes next? That's what the Wikipedia has selected as the positive uh, comment. Just, just to cipher through the fluffiness of that, was it basically implying that I've got a very low attention span? He's, that's the, why. he's basically saying that this film held my attention and I wanted to know what happened next. But that's well, the that's that's the most basic requirement for any me any media. <laughs> <laughs> and it's telling that there's there's a lot that we've already spoke about this week that did do that this just so didn't yeah i just i i don't think it was even like you said you had that realization moment when you thought this is two people in the hotel room right not bothered i'm, I'm checking out it wasn't even that for me it was it's throughout the whole thing i just thought this isn't interest. this is not i don't like this setting I don't know. I can't actually fully articulate what it was that was just so inconsequential about this film. I just did not care one bit, one yeah. bit at all. Yeah. The f- the first place that they go to, I want to say it looks o- it looks like the Michael Jackson Remember the Time video with Eddie Murphy. I'd watch a whole film that's just set there because it looked br- it looked brilliant. And that's it. That's all positive I've got to say. You will remember, I'm sure, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. The A24 film, guaranteed to be in our top five at the end of the year with Michelle Yao. I wonder, I wonder, did they, did the makers of this, 3,000 Years of Longing, did they think they were going to capture some of the same audience that was like, oh, it's, it's so it's so stylish, you're so imaginative, it's so great. Why do I say that? Because compare the posters for Everything Everywhere All at Once and 3,000 Years of Longing. Very similar. Main character slash characters in the middle, like one person's head sort of appearing over the other one, just facing straight towards the camera. 
completely surrounded by the objects and people from the film just bending around the edges. It's the same. It's the same poster. I agree. It does look similar now that you've said it. I would never have noticed otherwise. But yeah, go and check those posters out. You'll be inclined to agree with James, I'm sure. <sighs> it's not even like if I think about everything everywhere all at once, there is so much in that film that I've probably even not now digested that I can go back and I, I'll oh time and time again, there's something new. This, something deeper beneath the surface, but there's not what you see the first time around is what you get. There might be a bit of a theme that has gone over your head, but that's it. There is no more. Even if we like accepted what we've said about the visuals, it doesn't even compare to a film like Everything, Everywhere, All, all at Once. It's half the ambition and half as interesting. Daniel, would you recommend TTYL? Not with a dagger to my throat or a gun to my head. No. James, what about you? Lock it up in a bottle, don't let it out. I would not recommend. Let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. The hallucinations... I don't care. You don't care, okay. The hallucinations that you see at the beginning, forget about them, they've got nothing to do with it. Is it not Idris Elba? Um, yeah. I will shut up now. Yeah. Uh, Tilda Swinton, Alethea, she falls in love with Jin, and Alethea wishes for herself and the Jin to fall in love, and they they bed each other. Afterwards, Jin and Alethea travel back to London, but Jin is getting weaker due to the effects of of the city's cell towers and satellite transmissions. It's having an effect on his supernatural physiology and her second wish is to get the severely ill gin to speak again she apologizes even i'm i'm getting bored again just reading this off wikipedia she <laughs> apologizes, I I she apologizes sure. for using her wish to deny them the chance to fall in love naturally uses her third and final wish to set gin free he returns to the realm of the gin and then it flashes to three years later and i just thought get it over with Three years later, Jin visits her periodically throughout her lifetime. I don't know about you, but I could do with a Jin. Yeah. So that's the story. And I was utterly, utterly disengaged from this. Right. This whole like falling in love with him thing. This is the thing that really, really did my head in. So all the early interactions, in, in fact, 90% of them in the hotel room is her like, oh, you're a trickster. You're trying to. You're trying to defraud me into something. Oh, I don't trust you. I don't fall in love with me. Where does that come from? I didn't feel any affection or attraction between them up until the point where I almost felt it was a bit of a sympathy thing to say, oh, you've had a really hard life. You've been mugged over by all these women. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if you fell in love with someone? So you fall in love with me, implying that she has already fallen in love with him. But I did not feel that in the slightest. I don't know about you, but I just yes. seemed really left field. And I thought, I have no emotional connection to either of you because I don't know where this has come from. Give a shit. Yes, I felt that as well. <clears throat> she decided that by the end, I feel sorry for you. Like it says in Wikipedia, the Jin's final story moves Alethea to the point where she wishes for them to fall in love. It's sympathy. I agree with you. The amount of screen time that they spend interacting with each other is quite minimal because you spend so much time in the stories. And you, you're right. I'm not going to repeat what you've said. You're right. And I agree. 
But when she makes that wish, it's like, what? Just because you feel you feel sorry for him, you're wishing them to fall in love. But I guess because she wishes for them to fall in love, that means that she doesn't love him because she has to wish for it. Why does she want to wish for it then, if that's the case? Because she feels so sorry for him. Well, th- this is the bit that I get even less. I already feel bad for giving this film the time of this discussion. I'm pretty sure that she says, my wish is for you to fall in love with me, not the other way around. So either it is a complete sympathy thing, and as long as he's happy, it's all right. I think it's the falling, or, she wishes them to fall in love with each other. That they both sure she fall. doesn't say that, though. Okay, I'm sure right. that's not the wish. And that is my main sticking point with it, is you have shown no desire towards this man so therefore what what uh yeah and th- th- that's got to be the emotional it's, it's a love story without emotion to it yeah and that is why it just does not work yeah. i didn't even have any other notes other than my points around story and not knowing what was going on i think it's the guy in the second story there's a guy he has an obsession with overweight women his father died of alcoholism did he? That, I read that in the story. don't remember it. Maybe it was very clear and it just went over my head. But lots of little points in the plot where I'm like, oh, straight over my head. And it's, sorry, go on. Sorry. And the last one is that Idris Elba, yes, it's referred to as he is a transmitter of sorts and he absorbs everything that's going on around him. Reading about it was this electrical communication and other things within this industrial world that's made him weak. I don't think that was very clear. Now that I've read it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But in the moment, again, maybe perhaps because I didn't care and I wasn't watching it intently enough, did not feel that that was obvious. And even if it was obvious, it takes up so little time that you're not even bothered. So by the time they fall in love, they go back to London, they spend some time together. That whole sequence of them being together, it's so it's such a small amount of time that you're not even bothered about what happens to them because you know that the film's about to end because you've been there almost two hours. And then he says, oh getting a bit of 5G interference with my physiology. And then he's just dead, and well, not he's dead, but it all happens so quickly that you don't even get time to really absorb what is going on or the impact of it. I, th- I think as well, if he would have had this 5G interference and then subsequently died of COVID, this would have been a better film. <laughs> <sighs> Any, anything else? When she returns to London and you see her nosy neighbours, the way that their heads are framed when they're looking over the fence. I like I like that shot. That was a nice shot. Yeah, I guess, guess it was. Look at you trying to be the keeper of peace and say things nice. It is, it is nice to acknowledge that not everything is a complete and utter failure. Um, so good on you for calling out the one second scene. 60 million budget, 15 million box office. It's not great. <laughs> No, good poster though. So it, the Instagram post will look nice this week, I'm sure. Right, James, please tell me that there are greater things upon the horizon next week. What are we reviewing? Blonde on Netflix, starring Anna de Armas. And I think it's the first time we're doing a Netflix main review for a while. Yeah, not I'm great looking... reviews for this, but um... <laughs> it's not what I've heard. Fifty percent Rotten Tomatoes, six point two IMDb, but it's it's only it's not even released on Netflix yet. So this is only based on limited theatrical release. We'll see. We will see. Got a forty-minute longest ever standing ovation at Cannes. Is it all in black and white? It better bloody not be. Allah Mank 
which we came down on like a ton of bricks. Yeah, but Belfast was in in black and white. So yeah, you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I can see why. Right, blonde. Looking forward to that. Know the story of Marilyn Monroe from a high level point of view. Want to get into the nitty gritty? Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, please do so at inthehousepodcast at gmail.com. Rate and review us on your podcast listening app. And you can also follow us at inthehousepodcast on Instagram. I feel like I already said that. Getting confused. Don't know. James, if you were a genie, no, you encountered one. Don't or ask a genie. Me what my issues would be. Why? Do you <laughs> wish- All right. Okay. Would you at least wish for me to not ask what your three wishes would be? <laughs> Yes, that would be my first wish. That would be my first wish. What about your second and third? Second wish would be don't make blondes be all in black and white. Yeah. Um, Boost the listenership of In the Isles. For, ga- for God's sake, help us monetize this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, third wish, full-time income just based on the monetization of this podcast. I'll double up with you on that wish. See you next week. Bye.